This podcast is brought to you by our partners at 8 Star Energy. 8 Star Energy, a clean energy company, leading the future of portable and renewable energy. To find out more, follow them on Facebook at 8 Star Energy. I want attacking purpose for football all the time. Now we've got our backs against the wall and we're going to fight, and we're going to fight hard. You've got to show me all the guts and all the determination you've got in your body. You've got to inspire me. A marvellous kick. That's as good as you'll ever see. And puts Graham back in front. I don't know about you guys, but if I see one bloke walking out of here, keep the pat on back from people out there for a good effort, I'll spill up. From inside the centre square, boys kick the goal. Boys kick the goal. From inside the centre. <laughs> <laughs> Hello fellow members of the Empire, this is Danny Boyd, a podcast about the greatest football club in the universe, the Footscray Football Club. We trade as Western Bulldogs, but we all know we're Footscray. Welcome members uh, of the Bulldog Empire. I'm Danny McGinlay, recovered from COVID, fully fine, and with me is a man who still hasn't caught it. What a loser, Tom Boyd. Yeah, it's good to be here. It's good to uh, really shift gears between... Hey, Danny, how is your experience with COVID and the various range of physical and mental health issues that it provided you with? To, hey, let's talk to our guest today who's sitting in the sun in Byron, uh, Mitchie Wallace. Welcome aboard, mate. Welcome to the uh, Danny Boyd podcast. Danny, Tommy, um, great to be a part of it. I must admit, I'm in sunny Byron, but it's been sunny for about 2% of the time. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been flooded, this joint, for the last week. But I must admit, I'm in, you know, in a shorts and t-shirt, so I can't complain. Are you staying at Chris Hemsworth's house? Like, is that, is that is he, does he open it up for all the Bulldogs players? <laughs> he actually gave me a key a couple of years ago, and I'm free to use it whenever I want. So, no, I wish, mate. Um, again, we haven't travelled too far out of Byron because of the rain, but I can see why people fall in love with it because it's such a beautiful place up here, and. I must admit, I'm a bit of a Queensland baby. Um, I haven't ventured too far from there. But um, no, this is a beautiful place. Lots of lovely food options, um, cafes and restaurants. Um, but yeah, just too bad it hadn't had the, the sun that I was sort of searching for because Melbourne's been horrendous of late. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah. Mitch, now, just while it, we're on Hemsworth, I'll just, I just did a podcast <laughs> with Ed Cavalli from uh, Today FM and haven't been paying attention. He's pretty adamant that Hemsworth is not a real dogs fan. Now, you boys have met him. Uh, you saw him after the, the 2016 Grand Final. Do you reckon he's just putting it on to appear more Australian or is he a proper fan? Guess, guess uh, what answer I want you to give. Well, yeah, you told me pre-show to make sure I said yes, but no, um, he's, definitely a Bulldogs, <laughs> he's definitely a Bulldogs fan. I remember it was one of my, uh, when I was, I think it was in my second year, I had to send him a happy birthday uh, video message and I thought oh, wow. it was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> And then got to meet him in person, obviously, through the um, the final series in 2016. So he's been a long-standing Bulldog supporter um, sure, and didn't just God. jump on because we were going well uh, back back then. So, nah, he's a Doggies fan. He's a, he's a ripper fella too. Oh, thank God. Thank God. All right. Now, an additional reason, too, as to why you might not be travelling out of Byron. I believe you've had some very good news in the last two years with a, uh, a couple of additions. Yeah, so there's um, I got little Charlotte who's 16 months, 17 months old, um, and she's an absolute little darling. And we've got one on the way, one cooking in the oven, similar to, to you, Tom. Um, we're, we're due in April, so 
it's it's been such an exciting experience, um, challenging at times, but um, I love family and I'm all about having different dynamic and, and hoping if Emily can hear me, my wife, um, I'm hoping for a big family. So I hope this, this next one is a good experience as a last so we can uh, keep going. Now, I must say, I have never been bullied so hard as you bullying me to have children. So I'm put that out there to everyone. That chronic, long-term, severe intensity bullying from Mitch led me to uh, to obviously Anna and I expecting our first as well. So it's all your fault, Mitch. Uh, well done. You won. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to wear that. <laughs> oh, no, I need I need a few to join the dad crew. It's been me and Easton for a while, Easton and I for a while, um, who's, who's got a couple of, of young, lovely kids as well. So, mate, you'll, you'll love it. I can't wait to see what you like as a dad. <laughs> so I know what you like as a mate. Um, <laughs> but just just hold on, mate, and oh, just you'll, you'll enjoy the experience. But it is chaos from day one. Yeah, Mitch. You, no. I mean, I've got kids, but I've been out of the baby trenches for you know a fair few years now. And and evolution is a great thing. I've forgotten most of the hardship. Uh, that's what your brain sort of does to trick you into having more. Thankfully, I had the vasectomy, so we're safe there. But what advice would you give to Tom? He's about to go into it. We're about to get a little boy. I'm picturing a, a little girl being born with a big moustache. Uh, what should he know before he goes into that? Um, I, I just Sleep is, is probably the thing that you're deprived of the most and generally exciting times around going out and having drinks and things like those. But I just think that you've got to prepare yourself that a good night's sleep is a couple of hours. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, mate, again, you'll love the experience, but I think, like you said, the new norm shifts so much um, and you get joy out of the little things, the little noises, the sounds, um, you know, them, the first time they smile, the first time they look at you, you engage with them. You know, each milestone is as important as the last and, mate, you'll love the experience. You know, I'm, I'm, I glow every time I speak of Charlotte and what we've done together, so... It is, is truly a wonderful experience and something that you know gives me greater purpose every day in life to, to provide a, a life for my family. So, mate, you'll love it. Um, but yeah, yeah, just say yeah, goodbye okay. to sleep well, for the first time. All, all, all that's well and good, mate. I, I don't care about your cliche answers. Tell me exactly actually how it is. <laughs> Tell me how you actually feel. <laughs> oh well, look, I'll give you a little little uh, expletive into Charlotte's life. Her favourite food is I fillet and rack of lamb. So she's done it tough from a. <laughs> From an, from an early age. Um, and she likes her egg scrambled. Um, no, she's very particular what she likes, but, again, I, uh, I do love it a bit. Um, she can be hard work, but most of the time she's fun. Yeah, you, you talk about how much you love that child now. Let me tell you, Mitch, uh, the day you throw away the last bag of nappies never to ever have to change oh. one again, you love them more that day than the rest of their lives. Yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar with the nappy, but I'm, I must admit, I'm uh, I'm second choice when it comes to changing the nappies. <laughs> Emily definitely oh. takes the reins for most of actually, the time. Yeah, there, that's a fair that's a fair point. Something actually, I remember saying when, especially, especially this happens more with boys. So uh, you lads might not get this as much, but um, very and because there's that famous book, Raising Boys by uh, I think Steve Badoof or something, and it made a very good point that for the first few years. You're just mum's boyfriend. You're just that guy who's also there who backs up sometimes, but they just want mum for the mum. first few years. So it's your job to do the dishes, do all the other jobs, you know, yep. that need to be done. And actually, that's my best advice. My dad told me this when my wife was pregnant. If you're never sure what to do, 
go do the dishes because you can't be in trouble if you're doing the dishes. I don't mind it, mate. I don't mind. I'm, I'm like you. you. You want to try to help, but you just get in the road and everyone gets upset. <laughs> you know, the wife's yes. upset, the baby's upset. And all you, know, yeah, you just go back to the kitchen and start doing some more dishes and you'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> just making plates dirty and then cleaning them. <laughs> There's periods where you come home from work or whatever and the kid starts crying because it's, they're not alone with mum anymore. It's just like, can you go away? Hey, pal, we got a good thing here. Can't yeah. wait. No, I'm with you That's there. so exciting. But, uh, Mitch, how are you growing up? I mean, you grew up in the greatest place of all, the Witten Oval. I mean, what, what, your earliest memories, like, okay, I'm picturing there was you, Libba, Lockie Hunter, all just living at Wittenoval in like a little creche and then, you know, if you if it was a movie, there'd be montages where you're all skateboarding and then you become teenagers and start training with the team and it's, it's very wholesome and Brady Bunch. What was it actually like? Um, it, look, it was similar to that. It wasn't, I wouldn't call it, we were, we're all cosy because Lockie's a couple of years younger than us. But I must admit, we did go to creche. Um, together, uh, me and Tom, um, and Optus Oval. We started playing at Optus Oval when I—they're my probably earliest memories um, when Steve was still playing. Um, so there was a crash across the road. I still remember running out for his 250th game with my sister. That's a—that's an early footy memory of mine. Um, but post that, I was only four when he retired. So the the memories okay. of, of him playing is quite scarce. Uh, but. Obviously, had the footy bug um, and loved going to watch. Would watch every week with Tom, catch the train in um, to Colonial Stadium back then. Um, still under the roof, but that was our, our home ground. Um, and, we, yeah, we wouldn't miss a game. Always played at Sunday on Sundays just because, obviously, doggies in prime time during the early 2000s. We weren't... <laughs> In the late two thousands, personally. In the late yeah, but we weren't raking in the viewership all the, all the wins. Um, but... Obviously, loved the club. Was very lucky enough to be brought down. Um, the family are really close to the West as well. So Scotty took me down and oh, I did nice. some waterboying. Well, Tom and I did some waterboying and um, some preseason stuff. I wore in his boots for him because you know that was important back in the day. So Scotty wouldn't get any blisters. <laughs> um, but you know, little ex- you know exposures to the club and to the players. Um, you know, it was something that was so you know exciting and, and something that you know. A lot of people didn't get the chance to um, from such a young age. So I fell in love with the club a long time before I um, had any idea of being drafted or, or, or knew that I was capable of being so. So what's that like, Mitch? Um, obviously, I went through the draft system in a vastly different environment. What, what's it like when you basically get to the stage where you're like, okay, I might be an AFL player, looking likely. When, when does the club basically give you the green light that they're going to pick you up? Because it was you and Tom in the same year, correct? Which makes it obviously a bit more complicated. Yeah, and um, they actually created a program off the back of um, knowing that, you know, Tom and I were coming through, then there was Lockie and then there was Zane. So there was this sort of um, this cohort of, of father-sons. So they created a father-son program back in, when well, I don't know what year it was, but Tom and I were 14. And all it was was to just come to the club, watch training, um, meet the dietitian if we had any questions, talk to an assistant coach about some of the skill sort of acquisition things that we were, we wanted to work on. So we were, you know, invited into an AFL environment from a very young age. Um, so we were quite privileged from that point of view. And, you know, you make some rep teams, you know, making the under-16 state, uh, state team, you start to get on the radar a little bit more. Um, you know, and then we came down for another summer and did a few more pre-season training sort of sessions. We weren't 
allowed to join in, but we ended up joining in some some drills, which was you know the highlight of your life at sixteen um, to be exposed to that. Um, and and yeah, and some of my sort of the, my acquaintances became my mates a couple of years later when I um, got drafted there. So a very unique experience, but one um, that you know allowed me to draw my under eighteen year, which um, again a lot of people don't know, but we were told probably halfway through the year that we we're going to get drafted. So it allowed me to focus on my studies and really enjoy my time and probably not have the, you know, the stress and the anxiety around getting drafted and trying to juggle school as well. So it was a really comfortable, um, enjoyable process. Um, and, and the fact that I got drafted to the, the club that I love and grew up barracking for is, you know, a, a bit of a fairy tale scenario, but something that I'm still get, you know, living through um, in today. Sorry, I've got one that I have to ask, Danny, because I'm not sure how many people know about this. And Mitch knows exactly what I'm going to ask. When you met with the dietitian of the Bulldogs <laughs> and you presumably told her the truth, which was that you were drinking a litre of custard a day, what did she say to that statement at the time? Look, transparency wasn't a thing when I was 14, but as I got a bit older... <laughs> No, but that is a liter of I, custard. Um, yeah, but that was like there's a comma after that. There's a, there's a bit more more to my diet than custard. It was ice cream and milk. Oh, look, it's phenomenal that I was, you know, wasn't as white as a house when I was younger. Um, you know, I had a, a fairly intense and phenomenal metabolism, but I did used to consume a, a liter of custard. Mum would buy seven tubs a week, and I'd, I'd either pour it into a cup and just drink it or do, into a big bowl. Do you bowl remember how I this found the... out about that? Who? I think Rancy told me. I think uh, when yeah. we were down at New Year's one year, Alex might have let it slip and then after that you sheepishly admitted it to me. <laughs> oh, oh, looking back, I'm, I'm nearly ashamed of, of, of that eating habit in isolation. So we're talking like the liter carton Foster's of Clark. false custard. Uh, it was Foster's Clark's back in the day. That was that Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> yes. And if I had that, I, I had to go to the pools. But you know that was that was the second choice for sure. But yeah, oh, it was again looking back, I, I've disgusted it myself because it was a liter too. It wasn't like I'd you know have half and then come back and just bang. I'd have two big ones a day when I was a teenager. So that yeah. you know that's that's over a liter. Yeah, so but it's not. And look at me now. Not, I'm you know I'm, yeah, I'm no, a lead athlete. Gorgeous, and there you are. <laughs> Picture of health. But I'm. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. I haven't gone back. I must admit, I'm um, I'm a little bit scarred by the thought of it. But it was just something that you know I look forward to after dinner every night of just going into a liter of, of thick, creamy, sugary. <laughs> do you do it at like the end of at, at end of every season? Is everyone at Mad Monday, you know, getting on the beers, but you're secretly just uh, pouring a glass of custard? <laughs> I, I can neither uh, confirm or deny that. But uh, <laughs> no, nah, I'm uh, stage I'm, of drinking what, Bailey's instead. Yeah, true. No, I'm well and truly out. It's well and truly out of the system. I must admit, I've, I've, I've consumed enough custard for at least three or four lifetimes in my in my teenage years. So, what was no your more. vice, Boydie, when you were a teenager? What you, surely? Sustain. How did you muck up? What sustain the cereal? Oh, so you yeah. eat about four bowls a day. And then I got to the stage in like uh, when I was like 17 or I'd basically come out of the under 16 state side. I need to lose some weight. And I went to mum very sheepishly being like, oh, how do I lose weight? And she goes, well, maybe cutting out two bowls of cereal a day might help. Wow. 
<laughs> but it was so yeah. accessible cereal. Like, cause I remember cereal as well. Any time of the day, you feel like you've cooked it, but all you've done is poured it into a bowl and you add milk. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because like we we like nowadays, I would say eggs is the same, right? Like I'll always eat eggs if I'm gonna have that quick snack. But I wasn't cooking eggs like before school and after school, pre-training, pre-game. Like you know, I was eating cereal probably like I was actually eating twenty bowls a week or something. You know, yeah. I was cooking twenty oh. sets of eggs. <laughs> and they market it like it's healthy, even though sustains mostly sugar, isn't it? I think this dame was not great, but it wasn't like Nutrigrain. It had a yeah. few sort of more fibres in it or something. I don't know. They sold it pretty. They were good marketers. <laughs> you kept them in business. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the biggest hit for my childhood, Mitch, was when they actually got away from those, like, mega boxes you could buy. You could buy, like, 750s. And then they went back down to, like, 275s, and it was horrible because they used to charge, like, I don't know, like seven bucks for a big box. And then they went to charging five for less than half. And mum was like, yeah. my grocery bill has gone through the roof. I can't afford yeah. this. Well, they needed the custard sale of like buy two, get five free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You buy a carton, you get four of them free. You've got to buy yeah. a 24 pack. Yeah, well, because no one ever buys more than one. Because one, one normally yeah. catered for the whole family. <laughs> Yeah, on Christmas. <laughs> on Christmas, yeah. And you've got to oh. drink them quick. They're going to go off. Like, you know, some curdled custard's not going to – that's going to – Yeah, yeah, ugh. yeah. No, I feel you. I feel you. I don't right, know. So it, I, let's get off the custard thing. But one last night, I had a whole sort of <laughs> – in the kitchen, I had, in, the, in the fridge, sorry, I had a whole platform within the fridge that was devoted to custard. Oh, oh that's great. What did your dad say about this? I mean, he knows what it's what's needed to be for a – an elite athlete. Yeah. I don't know. I, again, I, this is the last time I'm ever going to talk about this because I am. Oh, okay, ashamed, fair enough. We can move. Actually, can move on. let me we ask you on. this. Let me ask you this. Um, what did your dad eat compared to what you eat as a footballer? Like, how much has the diet changed from the 90s oh, to the to the 2020s? It's, it's, it's phenomenal because we always, you know, we speak about the carb load or the pregame meal, which is probably the most commonly asked question amongst, you know, junior footballers and young kids about what do you eat before a game and how do you prepare yourself? But his meal with Choco Royal every Friday night was fish and chips. He'd go and have a piece of flake, dim sims, potato cakes and a large box of chips and that would see him through. That was his pre-game meal. So it's phenomenal. But you uh, don't do that you know, now. The change and, no, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, haven't had fish and chips in a long time. But, um, <sighs> yeah. Just it's crazy because you know they weren't they didn't know anything different and you know they got through fine obviously but um, <laughs> yeah. you know the more we're educated the um, the more we find out and we change things but again whatever whatever works for the individual really if fish and chips works for you and you play your best footy off that well go for your life really. Speaking of what works for you, Mitch, I've never seen someone eat so much food on the day of a game as you do. It's quite extraordinary. Ooh. Yeah, so I'm a I'm a chronic sweater, um, and if I don't, you know, eat as much as I can the night before, it's it sort of changed a little bit now as I'm getting gotten older. But um, yeah, I'll get very very sick by the end of the game with with no fuel left and being intensely dehydrated. So um, I do try and stuff I, instead of eating to my fill, I eat as, as much as I can get in, um, and that allows me to probably play my best, but also make sure I'm not sick by the end of the game. 
Yeah, that actually reminds yeah. me because when when I first got to the club, you we had a couple of nights where we were supposed to get a, a meal after games, and you were like violently ill. This is like back in yeah. uh, the Port Melbourne days when you were living in the apartment. I remember like you know, oh, we'll go get a we'll go get a grilled or something after the game, and Mitch is just like spewing his guts up, like can't move, trying to like sip on milk. Um, is that, that you've obviously gotten on top of that a lot better now? Was that basically the reason you changed the whole diet game day thing? Yeah, it was. And, um, you know, I went through a stage there where footy was coming. It wasn't fun. Like I was, I was getting that sick that I wasn't sleeping and it was taking me a few days to recover. And there's a few factors that sort of came into that. One was a big one was hydration, but, um, also mm-hmm. linked with that was some of the medications that you have on game day, caffeine tablets, um, and then not eating enough food, um, in preparation for the game. So it took me a few years to get over it, but especially when, you know, we used to travel to Darwin. Danny, you remember us playing up in Darwin, you know, once a year. Yeah. And, you know, that, yeah, that would Melbourne be... Melbourne always. Yeah, Melbourne always. And we always won, actually. We, I don't think we ever lost. Mm. Up until, uh, I remember being uh, in Melbourne. They were good times. That was, well, yeah, <laughs> it's a bit soon. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but, yeah. So, um, I, and I just get violently ill after games. Um, and, you know, just, and it's hurl my guts up for, you know, for hours at a time. Um, so... But I worked with closely with the dietitian um, and overcame that to a, to a certain degree. But I have to definitely do some some better sort of planning and preparation for games. One of the big changes you made, which is probably counterintuitive to what a lot of young kids are told, is I remember you got off Gatorade and you wouldn't drink you wouldn't drink any of those electrolyte drinks because I know they were making you sick. And what what did you uh, replace it with? I uh, I remember. <laughs> Cordial. Cordial. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's, if there's anything that I'm going to leave the club in better hands, it's, it's the uh, the option of cordial on game day. That's, that's I think it's over half the teammates choose cordial. It's just because Gatorade's obviously very acidic um, on the guts and because we so train it so often, it's offered so much. So, um, yeah, I think um, I've brought cordial to the club and we're, we're better for it, really. Could we be the first yeah. club to, when a player plays his first game, to uh, to just douse them amid a bit of cotties in the centre? <laughs> oh, wow. That's a good idea. It's um, better for the eyes. I don't mind it. It has to be. Yeah, it probably has to be better than the eyes. Um, yeah. Sticky, though. Sticky like that, all right? Uh, but it yeah. has to be apple raspberry, too. That's that's the thing. Yeah, That is the best cordial. I agree. Yeah, there's a, there's a clause in the contract. It has to be apple raspberry and cotties. We What's the worst cordial for you? What's the worst? Probably the oh, any cordial is not great. Um, but I think the cola flavored ones. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like having yeah, a sunny yeah. boy. Yeah. What is that generic cooler flavor? Because there's lime that's green, but then there's cooler, which is also green. And they, I mean, they're both sugar flavored. Have you yeah. done done any research? What are those flavors? Yeah, so cooler is like a, a Coca Cola flavor. Um, but the Cotties have released a range, which is, which is a, uh, a catch for Cotties. They haven't released a, a no added sugar, sugar free, <laughs> cooler range. And oh, I think I've got, I've got a liter of that in the, in the apartment behind us. <laughs> but, um, There's going to be nah. kids listening to this episode. Yeah, Mum, I want to be an elite free. footballer. Get me custard and cordial. <laughs> Jeez. And that's my legacy, kids. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, don't forget that Mitch was also like super shredded whilst he was drinking cordial and custard. So, you know, yeah, I couldn't do it. If if it were me, I would look like a an oblong shaped human. 
<laughs> even more, sorry, of a knoblock. Yeah, even more, even more than I already do. <laughs> so, Mitch, uh, when when was your first game? It feels like you've been there, been at the club forever, yet you're still, you know, so young. It's you know you've, your whole life. But when was when, when did you debut? Um, so I debuted my first. I think it was round four against Fremantle in Perth. I actually, they were they were the days of the sub. So unfortunately, um, Rocket E, the coach at the time, um, put me as a sub, and Tom Williams was having back spasms throughout the game. So Tom Williams injured. Get out of town. No way. Yeah, it was one of the games where he was playing. So you know <laughs> that, that, that was fortunate. But he was um, he was on and off a lot, and they normally pulled the trigger on the sub. I think halfway through the third, you know, ten minutes in the third, when a player wasn't doing well or there was an injury. Anyway, he was having a back swing, so they delayed the sub, delayed the sub, delayed the sub till about five or ten minutes into the last quarter. So in my debut game in Perth, there was 50,000 screaming Frio fans. Um, I got to play 15 minutes. I think I have three handballs, <laughs> and nice. we lost. So really rememberable game. You know, they gave me the DVD to show the highlights of my first game. <laughs> I think I've gone straight in the pin. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't the quality I know, but, that I was hoping for. But, yeah, um, this uh, sub discussion, Mitch, I remember subs basically getting pulled five minutes into the third when I hadn't had a kick in an hour. That was usually when yeah. they subbed me out. So Yeah, or, and they normally, yeah, it was again, they, that was a strategic play. Well, sometimes the sub a, a taller player for a sort of a fitter player. But again, this yeah. particular night, um, Tommy <laughs> Williams, back spasm. And, you know, I, I warmed up and did a 1,000 strides to make sure I was warm. Um, horrendous. And then, yeah, because it was late too, because Perth's obviously two out, four hours behind or two hours behind Correct. or whatever it was. So it was later anyway. Um, and, yeah, got to play 15 minutes and got me three handballs and happy debut. <laughs> when, when, when Tom Boyd walks in, do, you know, what, what, are your, what are your memories of early Boydie at yeah, well, well, my my role when he first got there was to just walk around with red carpet in front of me. So, you know, he didn't have to step in any of the dirt. And then someone else was the flower bearer so to throw roses on the floor. Um, he looked at, you know, he took one look at our, our cafe and said, is this it, really? Um, <laughs> nah, he, there uh, is a great saying, Mitch, those who live in glass houses should not throw stones. <laughs> and I feel like it's appropriate right about now to bring that up. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, it was great when Tom came. <laughs> I know, How long did um, it take us to hit it off, Mitch? How long did it, was, it take us? It was in the first year, though, wasn't it? It was definitely about it was six only, months. I think it was straight after Christmas or something like that. In yeah. My first I think we, we had a, a couple of a bit of liquid courage and, and went out one night and had a good time. And then we, um, uh, yeah, I think we hit it off from there. And then we were probably close, like you said, probably that first season. Um, from there, yeah. we just had similar interests. Um, and, yeah, the rest is history, really. Here we are. Yeah. They got on You've like a bowl like- of sustain covered in custard. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great mix. That's it. Mitch, That's Mitch it. has been on hold to be best man for my wedding for currently a year and a half and soon to be two and a half years. So he hasn't stuffed it up yet, but, you know, there's still time. Yeah. There's still time, yeah. <laughs> No, I, I am excited. It's disappointing that we couldn't. Um, oh, I couldn't go to your wedding. When was it? It was the nineteenth. It was meant to be the the weekend before Christmas. So, 
Um, yeah, unfortunate times for a lot of people. A lot of people have had some some hardships over the last couple of years. But you're very lucky, mate, that you you got a, a kid on the way and your your wedding's in the future. So you'll you got some good times ahead. That's it, mate. That's it. Although I can only imagine um, the day after your wedding, waking up to a small child with that hangover is uh, it's not going to be fun. It's going to be phenomenal. <laughs> One word, Danny. Babysitter. Yeah. Well, make sure they're off the they're off breastfeeding by then, just so you can get that little bit that that one sleep in for the rest of your life. Yeah, that's true. That's it. And all right, well, should we go? We've got a fair bit of listener mail questions for you, Mitch. You are very popular, and I'd say this will lead to some other uh, talking points and whatnot. I mean, a, a lot of uh, actually, no. Do you want? I got a great message from. Let me just find on what what format this person contacted me. I think it was, yeah, it was Instagram. Okay, we got a message from a guy who went to school with you called Daniel Warden. Uh, it's not a question, but it's just a story he remembers from you. He was on crutches and Madame Cullen, the French teacher, decided to knock me down the stairs. Mitch, who was a year above me, picked me up, didn't know me from a bar of soap, asked if I was okay and if he needed to walk me to class. Now, it's just talking about what a great kid you were, but I just want to unpack something. Why was the French teacher throwing kids downstairs? <laughs> Look, I, I had a very good time at school, um, and I'm not going to throw What's my school closet in the bus anymore. Yeah, we'll see Kevin's. And we've been, oh, okay. We've been thrown into the, into the fires, into the pits in the last few years, but, um, you know, it was a good school and gone through some troubles, but... Um, yeah, unfortunately that happened for him, but I had a broken leg in year 10, so I knew everything about walking upstairs on crutches at the school and ah. um, had to leave class 10 minutes before and 10 minutes after um, to try and just manoeuvre myself around, so I understand how uh, how tough it would have been for him. So probably some, some really strong feels when I saw him on the deck um, with his crutches. <laughs> what, what leg did you break in school, Mitch? Same as the one you did later? Uh, yes, it was. It wasn't obviously as bad. Um, it was only the tibia. Um, it was round one. The, of the bigger one, small, the bigger bone, the big one. Oh, you did break the bigger one twice. Wow. Yeah. Man, so I was only the didn't help. Yeah, you think you'd be full of calcium? <laughs> oh, that's what I thought. That's half the reason I did it after that. Uh, no, but uh, yeah, I, I unfortunately did it in round one of school, and then missed the next sort of sixteen weeks um, in year ten. So uh, I'm no, I've been no, no short of an injury throughout my career. True. Yeah, I'm going to ask the question that uh, I shared with you before, but uh, one question, um, someone wants to know, does it hurt to break your leg? <laughs> oh, you know, it, it obviously, it is the most excruciating thing in the world, um, especially when the morphine doesn't kick in for a while. But I think the most embarrassing slash hurtful thing that happened is I actually kicked my own leg. So... I did it to We've myself. We've seen the footage. That's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's not really embarrassing. Like, it'd be cool if you did it, such a horrific thing to, for it to be a good bit of vision or, you know, people to go, oh, have a look at that. But I actually did it myself. So I'm the only one I can blame. Yeah. It really oh, no, didn't fall very well. Yeah. Well, she killed a shot. But it was really yeah. hard to explain to people. It's like Mitch kicked on his right foot when he kind of like probably could have kicked on his left. And that's how it Yeah, happened. I know. Anyway, it took a while for everyone to be able to deal with that uh, piece of information. How, how long after uh, the injury did it take till you got into surgery, Mitch? Because I think it was it was a while, right? You went in the night before and then you stayed. 
Yeah, so, and that was the other thing, because it was a Saturday night. <laughs> Coincidentally, that day I bought the house that I'm living in currently. So, <laughs> talk about the highs and lows of footy. So, I had an option at 11, 11 o'clock in the morning. Um, had no idea I was going to buy it, but anyway, it was raining and there was no one there, so I ended up buying it. Um, and then, yeah, so didn't want to tell anyone about the sale before the house, uh, before the game, sorry, so I wouldn't distract anyone or distract me. Um, and then, yeah. Three quarters later, I was lying flat on my back um, with doctors and surgeons and everyone around me. Um, but we went to uh, what's the what's the avenue? The avenue, yeah, the avenue. Um, stayed there overnight. They had to open up the doors for me actually because I was closed on the Saturday night. Yeah, what, what's the avenue? What what is that? That's the um, where David Young does his best work. So it's hospital. a surgery hospital, it's a hospital. In Windsor. In Windsor. Okay. So I stayed overnight, um, just full doggy's kit, um, because again, I, I just any movement was was hurting me. So still had my right boot on. Um, my left one was cut off when I, when we got back to the rooms. But yeah, stayed there overnight and then got into surgery mid next morning. Um, I'm not sure if I can disclose how Tom helped me. You can you can probably you're better to tell <laughs> no, that story because <laughs> no disclosure. How how yeah. did you not help me was. Um, Speaking of answering the specific question that was asked, the worst part about that night was that because Red did his knee too, right? Yep. And also, we were in the rooms um, and Bebo was giving his post-match address and Mitch was still there and all you could hear was him just yelling and screaming. And I've never There's been in a of situation this. where an ACL injury seemed so, like, minuscule. <laughs> Like, I've never been in that situation. And it's obviously really hard because Red missed a full season as well. But, like, it didn't seem like a big deal at the time compared to what Mitch was going through. Yeah, because and, and the, looking back, it actually, after the, uh, again, I don't want to go into too much nitty-gritty, but because of the way that the um, my leg, was, my, my foot was being held, it was starting to pierce through the skin, the bone. And it wasn't until... Uh, um, I think there was a surgeon in the rooms who came and actually tractioned the, the bones apart that it was any sort of wow. reprieve from the pain. So while Tom was you know, getting the post-match address, they were trying to find a way for it to, to well, for me to relax but to also to ease the pain. And then a surgeon came and tractioned it um, and that was the first sort of bit of relief that I got from, yeah, from the pain. Oh, man. And with the whole time, were you thinking, were you just trying to remember if the house you just bought had wheelchair ramps or not? Oh yeah, oh, seriously, and that, and that's the thing. Like you talk about, um, you know, my dad came in the next day with the, the pamphlet of the house that I bought, and it, you know, it stood next to my bed. And um, any time that I sort of, you know, started to get a bit pitied on myself, I just look at that and said, "Look what you did! Look what you did! Look what you did on the day!" And it's not all bad. It's not all bad, but you know, it was a beautiful home. But like you said, it's a, it's a story to go with my first ever house purchase. That's for sure. <laughs> it's, it's a pretty good win. It's a pretty good win. All right. Another question. We've, oh, a lot of people just being very positive. Thank you for re-signing uh, with the dogs and uh, a lot of people just really talking up your selfless leadership during the final series. Uh, you know, you were you were right in amongst it, uh, singing uh, the, my, my Baby's Got Strong Beliefs. I can't remember what the song's actually called. Freed from Desire. Freed from desire, that's the one. Wait, where, where, where did that come from? Your mate, from from what the story is, uh, Libba's loving that song. I mean, you've grown up with Libba. Did he just chuck it on random and the media ran with it or has his been a favourite song of his for a long time? Nah, so 
I've got to be careful here because it, it was sort of that's in a sanctum footage that got leaked. Which, oh, oh again, really? Yeah. No, nah, but as in, it's because, you know, we don't normally, it's not like our sort of, like I said, the inner sanctum in our rooms. And it was something that we do, you know, we listen to music after every game um, and we have a playlist that we go through. And, you know, it's off the back of, you know, footy can be such a challenging thing. Um, there's so many hurdles to get over. And if you don't sit back and enjoy the wins, enjoy the good times, you know, what are, what are you really doing it for? So um, it's very important as a team that we do that and we acknowledge the hard work that's gone into every win, every, every time we... Um, you know, kick a bigger score than the opposition. So there's a playlist and the boys all know the words and it's a, it's a really good good time to, to, you know, just let loose and to enjoy each other's company. And, um, yeah, those songs are a part of the, the place, part of the culture because everyone knows the words and, and knows how to dance to it and, we you know, we let loose for a while. So that was sort of where it stemmed from. Um, but, yeah, like I said, the footage was released, um, which is fine, it's harmless, but... Again, they're, they're those moments that you, you want to remember and keep in house because that's that's the reason you play together. And well, and, and you were there just really being a leader, even though you you weren't uh, getting the game time. How, did you? How, how do you then? I guess you you're sort of differentiating. What's it? Compartmentalizing different parts of you. You're disappointed not to play, but you're also you know you've got a job to do as vice captain to to be there. Was that hard to do, or, or I mean, did you even talk to Tommy about that? I mean, he's 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 great at compartmentalizing. Yeah. And um, how'd you do my, it? Yeah, it was it was a it was a big challenge. But then the more that I fed into, you know, wanting people like Cody who lived with me, with me for a while, Leif Vandermeer who also lived with me, Naughty who lived these people and um, relationships that I've built up over time. Obviously, very close with Bond. Look, you know, I can go through them all, but you want them to experience success. Um, and at the end of the day, you ask yourself the question. How can you help them experience that? How can you give them the best possible chance to be successful but have a good experience? And by me doing what I did and, and providing an ear, um, giving some advice, but mainly just being a supporter and encourage, encouraging them um, made me feel like I was actually con- contributing. Um, but, look, I, I love the month. Like you said, it was it was a challenge not to play because it's the reason that, you know, well, most of the reason that I'm at the club is to play footy and wear the colours on the weekend. But... Um, there's too good of people there and I'm too close with too many not to, to give my all on the sidelines if I'm not playing um, and to be that sort of, you know, that leader figure to, to help them, you know, on, on our journey to, to a premiership. Uh, we fell short, but I, I still feel like that I had a, a great contribution over that month um, in, in being a supporter, but also being there for, for advice and on how to relax and, and how to, you know, perform at their best. Bloody oath, Mitch. Bloody oath. Yeah. You're a good man for it. Thanks, mate. Uh, and I, and I appreciate again. I appreciate the sentiment of all those fans that have reached out. It's it's nice to hear. But um, at the end of the day, I'm like you. I'm a, I'm a supporter at heart. So it's all it's all coming from a good place. The real the real question that I have, Mitch, is how are we going to turn you into a halfback flanker? Because that's where all of the uh, like massive like all Australian shocks come from in our team. So that's the goal. Appreciate <laughs> it. Well, we've right, there's a there's a stiff line. Like we've had Caleb Daniel who's all Australian. We've got Bailey Dale who's an all Australian. Um, JJ, the uh, yeah JJ who's who's been a star, a Norm Smith medalist, and then we've got Bailey Williams who's on the rise. So the backstocks are pretty thick, pretty pretty solid back there. So um, look, mate. Again, and I will touch on this in a sec, but um, you know, next year it's a new year, it's a new challenge. Um, I'm probably in the best physical shape I've ever been. So I'm up for it. I'd love for the, the coaching staff and, the, you know, the new assistant coaches to, to look at me with, with a little bit more scope um, 
to, to ensure that I've got more strings to my bow than just playing, you know, that, that sort of small, medium forward because I do think that I can offer a hell of a lot more than that. So I've got a, a big summer ahead of me, but um, I'm not going to leave any stone unturned and I really want to, you know, put my foot forward and, and, and play round one next year. Uh, that leads us to a great point. Um, the two new assistants, have you met them? What are they like? It seems like if anyone's going to be creative, Matt Spanger could be your man. I don't know. I yeah. don't know him that well, yeah. but he looks like a creative type. Uh, it, a great way to describe him. No, he, uh, <laughs> I was in at the club the other day and I met him. Um, and he actually is married to one of my good mate's sisters. So, you know, talk about the six degrees of separation. But, mate, seems like a really likeable character. I haven't had too much to do with him yet. But, um, you know, he comes with great raps. I had a good chat to Bevo about him. And, you know, he's a really good person. Um, in terms of relationships, he knows he sees the game pretty well, but it's just it's going to be about him building on those relationships and being able to join in training and, and help you know some of our defenders and forwards with their craft because I think that's one of his strong points. Um, in terms of Webby, I haven't met Webby yet. He's staying in Perth till uh, Christmas because his wife plays as he for Fremantle in the AFLW. Oh, so nice. there's a few um, yeah loops to get to get him over. But again, as a massive rap sheet for for being very successful over in. In, uh, in Fremantle. Um, he's also assistant coach. Um, it's, it's escaped my mind, but been in the caper a long time and been very successful. So he'll uh, he'll coach the mids, I reckon, uh, alongside the, the star-studded midfield that we've got, who could probably coach themselves. So he may, may be more of a coordinator than, than anything else. But um, <laughs> no, nah, uh, he again, big raps. I'm looking forward to working with him as well. You, you mentioned then that um, Bevo had some conversations with you. Is that something? Do the, do the leadership group get a say in that, or just, so does Bevo, or does Bevo ring you and say these are our new assistant coach, or does he ring and say this is who we're looking at? What do you think? Yeah, so this and it's very interesting because we've had we had Ash Hanson for I think it was eight years, Stephen King for ten years, um, and we had Joel Corey since two thousand twelve, who who departed um, due to the, the COVID sort of reshuffle. So we hadn't had much change in the assistant coaches area. So mm. we did, um, and because we played right through to the grand final, you know, that was that was the focus for the club, um, especially for Bevo at the time. So there was a lot of coaching changes that had happened before that time. So, you know, he asked if there's anyone that has come across the radar you thought um, could be capable of doing the job. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's up to the board and, and Granny and, and, um, and Bevo to appoint them. But... You know, if we can be of assistance or have anyone that we want to put forward, you know, he said this to Marcus and myself, um, we could. But it was just that, you know, that time that went so fast that we, we didn't really have a chance to. And, you know, we've, we've ended up with two really good characters who hopefully can have, you know, a really long, great career at the Bulldogs. Did you ever um, think about, I don't know if you've watched Ted Lasso, but maybe bringing in an American Midwest college coach who could just up morale and... <laughs> yeah, I will... Again, Bevo talked about being creative and getting getting someone from from anywhere, you know, in terms of the sporting, uh, from all sports. But footy is just one of those games that you got to sort of grow up being around it because it's it's so dynamic and you know that's you talk about the, the the different positions and the different style of player that comes from being you know a, a small rover to a tall ruckman forward like Tom. Um, I think it'd be a hard game to to come in on top of without without hang being on, you know without growing on. up. No, 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 no. We discussed this last episode. You might not have heard, Mitch, but um, Ange Postacoglu uh, was on SEN and he said that him and Bevo and Brian Gorgian are in a WhatsApp group chat together. Now, I've got a fantasy that 
Angel obviously win the Champions League with Celtic, but then come and coach the Dogs. Is that can you can can you can we just start that rumor now? No, I'm pleased because <laughs> he's a, he's an absolute superstar, and I, I know the um you know Bevo's mentioned the the WhatsApp group before, and it seems like a wonderful thing to be a part of. You can imagine some of the experiences and and some of the um obstacles that those guys all together have overcome. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's a superstar in his own right, um, Brian and and Ange. Um, but mate, any of those sporting heads would be great in in any organisation. I must admit, that's true. That's true, Boydie. I've got a question for you. Um, this is apropos of nothing. It's just when Mitch was talking about Frio before. Um, Frio, from a corporate level. Now, Mitch, you probably can't comment on this because you're a current day player. So I'll let Boydie and his cynicism come through. Frio today announced a five-year plan. They're going to win the flag by 2025, win the AFLW flag by 2025. 80,000 members, although there's a typo on seven AFLs thing, and they're actually saying 800,000 members by 2025, uh, and, you know, rank in the top three for revenue there. You're a very boy. You're a very cynical uh, uh, footy fan. What, what do you what do you take from when boards and clubs announce things like this? Um, have you seen the Dark Knight? I have. Yes. You know when the Joker comes in and says, "Like, um, look what I did to your little plan. Turn it on itself." <laughs> That's <laughs> what you're asking for. Um, I think the, rev- the the revenue target's probably the most likely. Um, and hopefully they're, they're okay. I think good teams from Perth is good for footy. Uh, but, yeah, I don't, yeah, it's really interesting to me when they put out these public plans. The only thing, though, you put, again, you live and die by the sword, but what, as a member, as a fan, as anyone, what do you want to hear? Like, yeah. 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 Do you know what I mean? Like, you have to feed belief because if you don't, well, you know, how are you going to track down these these massive goals? And, yeah, I, I don't I don't mind. It's an aggressive call. <laughs> Um, yeah. and they're, they're quite they're quite outrageous goals if you think about it but it gives you something to work towards and again if, if they're bold enough to say it it's, it's it's the only thing is it's a pass or a fail when you, yeah. when you come out that yeah. like you can't yeah. you know if you, if you if you fall just short well you fail because you haven't reached your goal so um, yeah. and I, I don't mind it to, to some extent because you've got to instill belief in in the whole organization but just yeah, be careful not to be too pass or fail with with some of your major, uh, your massive goals. But as a player, Mitch, when they say we're going to win a flag in the next five years, I mean, you know, what does that mean? It's not something you can grasp. Do you know what I mean? No. Like you don't go yeah, to the course. club tomorrow or whenever. Let's just say you were going in to do some off-season training or you start back in a week or whatever. You're not walking in there going, we've got five years to win a flag. This is where it starts. You know what I mean? Because it's just a day by day build to, you know, hopefully getting the run that you want and, and a few things falling your way. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. Um and the only thing is the the supporter and the fan want to hear that that's a that's a possibility and that's mm. what they're hanging on to. They they their conversation is oh, we're get, we're in the premiership race. It's not you know, we're going to have a really good training session. They're going to have a good training session on Monday or they're going to make some gains before Christmas. It's, nah, we're a chance next year to win the flag. So you got to fuel that and, and enable that belief. But I'm with you, mate. Within the four walls, I'm sure there's going to be a thousand other objectives that are a lot more short-term um, and achievable to allow that to happen uh, in, in, instead of just having the, let's win a flag in five years on the whiteboard as they walk in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, we've got a couple more questions before we wrap up. Uh, this is, I'm just going to read this out because it's baffling, but uh, Megan wants to know, are you Team Edward or Team Jacob, Mitch? Are you even the right age group for Twilight? <laughs> team Edward or Team Jacob? Yeah, do you remember those films Twilight about oh, the yeah. vampires? Yeah. yeah, no, no. Yeah, I've got a collection. Um, <laughs> <laughs> at your, at your hotel saga, in Byron. It's, you've got, it's, it's actually called a, a saga. Come on, Danny. It's a saga, mate. A Twilight it's saga. It's a saga. It is. Sorry. Yeah. Um, oh, look. Jacob likes motorbikes. Who's the vampire? The other bloke, isn't he? Eddie. Yeah, Edward. Yeah. No, we'll go with Jacob. Werewolf's better than Yeah, vampire. fair enough. He's like a dog, I suppose. Yeah, um, no, all right, back to a real question. Um, uh, who I'm just want to. Uh, well, uh, Jay, this is a, this is a simple question. Jay wants to know what's your favourite ground to play at. Uh, it has to be the G. Um, we're only fortunate really? to play there probably twice a year. Yeah, two or three. Yeah. Um, two or three. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's nothing like walking out onto that court, the hallowed turf. But uh, you know, we only normally fill it to a halfway limit. But um, you know, <laughs> it's just such a such a big ground um, and, you know, all the important games. I know that it's been different in the last couple of years, but you, you want to win a final at the G, which is which Bordy's is all too familiar with. Mm. Well, we'll do it soon. Uh, and uh, Mr. McLaughlin wants to know, uh, who is the most exciting upcoming player at the moment, like a dark horse that's probably not getting the credit they deserve? Um, dark horse. See, late late Fanny was had a really good preseason, and unfortunately, yep. uh, he got struck down by some injuries. So, he would have been one that I still think has so much potential with his speed mm. and his physical, um, you know, capabilities. So, he's one. Um, a lot of the horses, a lot of them. You'll know more. Uh, when you play every single horse, it's hard to have a dark one. That, that's what I'm saying. Like, how do we? Because um, well, yeah, Bailey Smith. Well, I, I mean, I love Sam Darcy's. Part of the um, Father Son Academy. Oh I've yeah, seen him yeah. train, and he's he's played a oh he's trained a fair few times with us, and I've seen him. He's got some really strong attributes skill wise. So um, again, there's there's going to be a fair bit of you know rivalry for spots then in our forward line with Jamara, um, and obviously Naughty uh, and Sam coming through. But uh, I feel like he's going to really fit in well because um, he's so athletic as well um, to our, our forward line. So. Talk about a dark horse. I'm not sure how much people know about him, but uh, I think he's going to have an immediate impact. Actually, yeah, that's a, that leads. Um, what advice would you give to Sam? Having you know, the, there's probably extra pressure on the father son recruits. You know, that's very different to some, whatever you know Tom went through. Uh, what advice would you give to Sam to you know deal with it? Um, I'd have to sit him down for an hour and give him all my advice. But now I think um, you, you follow the people at the club who you want to emulate. Um, so in terms of him, you know, Aaron Norton's one of the hardest trainers that we've got. So if you piggyback him from day one and just learn, you know, really good habits from a from an early sort of age, from an early draftee's age, your your actions do a lot of the talking because, you know, I had um, I had a kick with a couple of the other other fellas that from the IFL up here this morning and we're, we're talking about the draftees coming through and, you know, media is such an important big thing at the moment for the 18-year-olds coming through. Um, it's, and it's shifted. I think it's a, it's a positive thing to, to get their names out there. But um, it's not until the actions, you know, they start playing, they start training, that, that anything that they're saying gets any traction. So, you know, if I was Sam, I'd, I'd link in with uh, with an Aaron, you know, or, or someone at the club that you admire and try and emulate the stuff that they do day in, day out to allow them to perform at such a high level. 
um, and let some of the actions of training um, do some of the talking. Yeah. Great advice. Good advice. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. The final questions we have is uh, who should have won the 2016 Norm Smith medal and uh, should Scotland have a second referendum uh, for independence or should they stay part of the United Kingdom? Uh, so can you give me an ABC or D or all of the above? Uh, so, all right, so who should have won the Norm Smith? Should it have been A, JJ, B, uh, Liam Picken, C, Tom Boyd, uh, D, uh, uh, Jack McRae? Um, look, not just because he's on the on the, like JJ had a terrific game. <laughs> no, it, it, it was look, there was a lot of. I'm going to be the, the diplomat here. There were a lot of strong contributors on the day. You know, it was a really strong team effort. There was 22, you know, players that deserved deserved the medal. But now, Bordy had one of the most, you know, well, one of the strongest games of his career, really, um, mm-hmm. on the biggest stage. And you know, some really pitiful moments if you look at. The most valuable player, I think that he can put his hand up and, and sit there quite comfortably with with the rest of them. I've never heard okay, and, uh, so many cliches in one sentence. That was extraordinary. <laughs> well, mate, well I've just got to protect. I've got to protect, mate. <laughs> Playing you know, defense and offense at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mate. <laughs> and uh, with the Scottish referendum, uh, your options are A, of um, yes, they should have another referendum. Uh, B, nah, stay with the United Kingdom. Three, declare freedom now. And D, uh, why are you asking me this stupid question? <laughs> oh, look, it's, it's not a stupid question. I've got a Scottish, uh, Scottish heritage. Um, I have of course. no idea about Scotland, <laughs> to be totally honest. <laughs> but I do. Um, so I reckon freedom. I don't know. Go freedom. Be free. Well, hang on. How about how far? Let me ask you. The reason I want Scottish independence, my dad was born there, so I've got a British passport, which was awesome oh. when I was in my 20s. I could go anywhere in Europe, just wander right in, all good. Now, because of Brexit, I can go to Britain. Great. Fantastic. Yeah. If Scotland mm-hmm. get independence, go back in the EU, hey, we go everywhere. How far back's your heritage? So my um, great-grandma was from Scotland. And then, I think that'll get you one, maybe. Yeah, Let's I'll, find I'll, out. Yeah, I'm going to stretch it. But, um, yeah, actually, I've never been there, though. It's, it's, one, it's one on the bucket list to, to, um, to tick off because I've, done, I've oh. done Ireland and I've done England, but I haven't done Scotland before, so... Well, Have you been there, Bevo, to talk to Ange. You can stay on his couch. Yeah, true. <laughs> Play for Celtic. That'll be a great day. So, you know, I don't think I'm capable of that. I'll give it a go, though. Damn straight. I've seen good attitude. Seen you play soccer, Mitch. You're no good. You're no good. Yeah, no. Just I need no overall. Uh, well, Mitch, we're uh, careful of taking up too much of your holiday time, uh, as well as both Danny and I do have... Uh, other things to attend to as well. So thanks so much for coming on, Danny Boyd, mate. You've been a fantastic guest and we wish you the best for not only next year um, where you turn 30, everyone should know, and also uh, into the future. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for having me on, mate. Uh, I appreciate <laughs> the questions. No, guys, it's a, mate, it's a great program. I appreciate you having me on and I had a bit of fun today. So enjoy the rest of your Arvo and uh, we'll see you soon. Today's episode was proudly brought to you by 8-Star Energy, creating energy for the future and power you can count on. Follow them on Facebook at 8-Star Energy. What they say, there's no fast way out of footscree. Says I'm grinding and a groove and when I go there, line snakes tail in my underwear.
There's no fast 